Well, hello. Good day. This is Like Trees Walking. This is Michael J. Nelson. This is David Paul Berge. Hey, you know what I was thinking of before we started recording, Dave? No, I don't, Mike. Could you tell me what you were thinking of? <laughs> we did not discuss. This is live. Um, here's what I was thinking. It's very odd that because of the nature of the podcast, there's no... Uh, we haven't we haven't come to rest on a uh, greeting for people when you're time-shifting. So... And good, and I always say good day, which sounds so formal and weird, doesn't it? Yeah. Good good day, everyone. <laughs> so we need to come up with uh, we need to have a contest. You know, come up with the the, the thing greeting. that you say because you don't know what time the person is listening to it. Greetings and salutations. Like Hel- that kind of hello. Thing. Yeah, it's just as clumsy, you know, because that's that's why every language has a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, because it's just it places you in time. But this is bizarre that we don't know the time. We are we are in the midst of time. So maybe it's like the the Japanese when they they came up with the uh, the word for answering the phone because they didn't want to spoil any of the words that they had because this is a new experience. They just came up with the term moshi moshi, which just means nothing. It just means I am answering the phone basically. <laughs> so we just need that. That's all I'm saying. So, so if you could think of that, put your brains to this people moshi, out there. Moshi? Yes, what is our version of Moshi Moshi for podcasting? Anyway, this is Like Trees Walking, and uh, this is the podcast where we talk about not only what kind of greeting to have on a podcast, we talk about the big issues of life, and we do it from a Christian perspective. Is that right? Yep, and we do it with a smile and a wink and a twinkle in our eye and a pep in our step. And <laughs> we're, we're like, uh, we, Mike and I both have a, we have a, a friend, a, a mutual friend from church. We're like, you know, when you shake... You shake someone's hand, where the little tickling middle finger <laughs> oh, on yeah. your palm in that handshake. Oh, that is so gross. Oh, and I know that's there's like few experiences as unpleasant as having your hand tickled whilst shaking yeah, another man's. Hand. Unexpected. It, it's even worse than the uh, the limp handshake. You know oh, when the um, uh, when a person just lays their hand in yours for a shake. I'm and not gonna go. I, I could get real. I could call out someone I know and love really hard right now who has a a, a bad oh, handshake oh, a dead fish people who know people people who know people who know me are hearing this they know all about the dead the dead limp handshake you must have a lot of them as a pastor no pressing uh-uh, the no, flesh no no, no, no a lot no, of good handshakes? no 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 i'd say by and large uh, i'm very impressed with how people shake hands it's just one person in particular and this is not this is not anyone from <laughs> church so people don't don't go around trying to find that person's hand at church this is someone i know from another area of life very limp handshake when very i uh, limp. i attended a lutheran church in a very small town in wisconsin and there were some giant farmers who would shake your hand at church, and as a 15-year-old kid, my hand would be engulfed and just crushed, like, you know, those cartoons of, you know, someone mm-hmm, shaking mm-hmm. a hand and the, the hand, like, bulging out and turning red. That's what it was like. It was just unbelievable. And they weren't trying. It was just like, they're just their giant, work, they're needy working men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we also don't talk about that too often. We, we got off on a tangent. Uh, so let's see. The show today, we have our big topic of the day. We're we going to run down. We're yep. going to put you on the spot on that. And then Turnabout is Fair Play. In the second half of this show, we have a quiz. And that quiz is what, Pastor Dave? Uh, the quiz is a slang quiz. It's going to be for Mike. It's a millennial slang quiz. The Boston Globe put this out. And so Mike, you know, he uh, he loves the millennials. He's loved by the millennials. But he, he also has this, uh, they're also frenemies, I feel like, in a certain sense. <laughs> and so we're going to see if he's down 
with the the jive that these kids are throwing out. So you're just going to test me. You're going to humiliate me on my lack of ability to communicate with the younger generation. Exactly. And I'm actually, I'm technically a millennial. So, Aside from yelling, get off my lawn, yeah. I really don't have any interaction with these uh, youngsters today. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we'll do that later, but go to, now... Go to bed, old man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's get right to the main topic. Yes. Which is something you raised. This has come up in the, I believe, the New York Times. Yes, yes. The writer... The, Nick- the gray lady, the gray lady. Yes, the, all the, the, the... What is the source for news? No, what no is it's it? all the news that's fit to print. Yeah, but they are... Oh, the nation's newspaper. There's some other like informal thing where like anything that's... The paper in, of record? The paper of record. There Thank we go. you very there much. We go. Yes. There we go. I, I knew we'd get to it. Um, Nicholas Kristof, a writer for them for for years, I think an opinion columnist. Yes, he's in a, he's in the he's on the opinion page. He uh, submitted an article in which he quizzed. I think he would be called the nation's pastor in a way. Oh, you're he? calling him the nation's pastor. That's isn't he kind of he's, he's have... a very high profile yeah. evangelical pastor, na- evangelical or. Well, Strictly say, Presbyterian. Uh, he's like, I mean, these uh, these definitions get interesting. I would say that if you consider evangelicalism essentially like, um, I mean, in, in, it's basically like theologically conservative Protestantism in some ways mm-hmm. is just gets thrown in yeah, evangelicalism. But Tim Keller's a Presbyterian, um, so like th- there's also this sense in which that kind of reformed, that we won't get too deep in the weeds, but that reform branch of like, uh, you know, historic Orthodox Christianity. Like, it's let's just say that evangelicalism is a is a big, weird family sometimes. Yeah, and if yeah. and if Tim Keller's in it, then it makes it like sort of even a little more different. But whatever, I think he would. I think he'd accept that label. I guess Rick Warren would be the yeah, nation's like, evangelical pastor. Yeah, right? like it's hard. I mean, we're such a you know. Uh, 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 like a country that's sorted out in so many different ways that we can't even like have a pastor. It used to be like Billy Graham, right? It was like, yeah, yeah, he was the nation's pastor. We don't even get to have one pastor anymore. We we have ah, a the job is open, Pastor Dave. The <laughs> position lying. has not been filled. But no, Tim's a he's a very prominent uh, pastor in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, um, best selling author, best selling author. Um, so he's a pro- yeah, he's a he's a prominent prominent voice maybe maybe folks listening to this have heard of him before but i'm a i'm a big fan of tim keller just because he i think um does a very good job you know he pastors in new york city so this is uh, you know a city that sort of prides itself on on its cosmopolitanism and sort of you think uh, uh historically you know orthodox christian church would you know sort of be like it would just flounder there, but yeah. it, but his church has really flourished, and and he's flourished because he takes I think skeptics seriously, um, seriously enough to uh, try to answer some of their big questions and say that you know even in this in this you know secular place actually that there's a deep quest quest and longing for God and that New York City can be this amazing place of cultural influence spiritual influence for the world not just cultural financial influence all this kind of stuff so so Tim is a pastor for New York City. And I think he just does a great job of, of dialoguing with people who don't agree with him on much of anything. Right. And so this article, which I admit I just I read once, I did not do the deep dive, so I'm going to rely on you. Okay. This article was a uh, Q&A with the pastor from Nicholas Kristof, basically asking, hey, pastor, am I a Christian if I believe X, Y, or Z? If I have doubts was, was the main thrust of it. So why don't you uh, take it from there and... 
expound on this? Explain it a little more. Okay. So, yeah, Kristoff. So it was, it was a Christmas, uh, right around Christmas time article. And so Kristoff uh, uh, sort of led off with the, am I a pastor? Am I a Christian? If I don't believe in, let's say, you know, something like uh, the, the the virgin birth, you know, because it's only found actually in the, um, you know, in this particular story in the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, you know, the Greek there's a little different. So it looks like maybe someone slapped it on at the beginning. So do if I don't believe that or if I doubt that, am I still, you know, am I still a Christian? And I think that um, there's an interesting facet to that question, but just sort of zooming out is that, uh, you know, can I doubt X and still be a Christian? I, I want to always give people permission to say, like, there's a, a real different difference between doubt, doubting something, and rejecting it or not believing in it, you know? So I think you can doubt, like, almost anything and still be a, a Christian because doubt is not, like, doubt is still wrestling with something. It's not rejecting it. And so that's my point number one is you can doubt you can doubt basically anything and still be a Christian. Right. You don't when you become a Christian, you don't just get the, the download of everything and you suddenly <laughs> believe everything. It doesn't work that way, at least with most people, I think. You don't just suddenly, ah, okay, I believe every single thing and I have no doubts about it and no questions. Yes. It doesn't work that yes. way. Yes. So there's so so yeah, there's a huge a huge difference between just doubting and straight up disbelieving something. But to the to the bigger question of you know it's almost this question of is there sort of a lowest common denominator um, for faith? It seems what he's asking like what are the least number of because Christianity has these you know extraordinary we did this in another podcast yes. extraordinary claims That's I mean right. and, and they are extraordinary that uh, that um, I mean that the God of the universe um, became flesh became a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's an extraordinary claim. Um, that he lived this life whilst he was performing these miracles of exorcism and healing. These are extraordinary claims. Mm-hmm. He That he died and that his death somehow atones for this thing called sin, wiping the record clean, and that he was then resurrected, raised in this, in this form, this glorified form, so that he will never experience death again. And that people who are joined him by faith will never experience a death apart from God. And so he was ascended into heaven. These are extraordinary claims. So which one of those extraordinary claims can I doubt, um, you know, or, or reject and still consider myself a Christian? What if I just, I respect Jesus as the, um, you know, ethical teacher? And I would say that um, the the central extraordinary claim of the Christian faith, or I think there's really two of them, but... The one that leads the tr- leads the charge for me is the resurrection. That's where um, that's sort of what everything hangs on, right? Is in, in um, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church at the very end of it. He's kind of reminding them of some of the most basic teachings, ones that he Paul himself received. So these aren't things he's just making up. He's saying, "I'm passing on to you. I passed on to you." And he talks about Christ's resurrection. That's central to it. And he says in there, he says, "If Christ has not been raised, you know." We are the most pitiable of yes. all people. So I would say when we get to anything that that the central, you know, the the keystone, the the capstone of the Christian faith is Christ's resurrection from the dead, and it's upon that that the the so the sort of whole other superstructure is built. And so we have to hold that as central. So if you don't believe a resurrection apostle, Christoph says, do I need to take it literally? Like, could we think something like? faith rose or hope, you know, and and no, I'm going to say no, 
if if it's some sort of metaphorical, um, you know, hope lives in our hearts, like gray skies are going to clear up, you know, things are going to get better. If 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 Christ is still, you know, moldering in some tomb somewhere, or his bones are, you know, just buried uh, beneath Jerusalem somewhere, then the Christian faith is not true. Right, and and the Christian faith is somewhat unique, if I may use that ambiguous term, (laughs) in that uh, we make a very specific historical claim. We, I include myself, in the Christian faith, if that hasn't been clear, uh, in that these are things that you could witness, you could touch, you could see with your eyes, you could smell the smells. This is not a metaphor. Uh, We believe that if you were at Golgotha, you would have seen uh, the human form of Jesus Christ on a cross. You would have seen all these events are real. They are not—this uh, th- is the point that Paul makes again and again. He he keeps uh, going back to the witnesses who saw this. Talk to them. There's, some of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep, as he says. But this is unique, right? This is a—, a uh, this is central. This is the historical claim that Paul and the other apostles went over again and again. This happened, and, and you have to believe this. Yes, and the, the events— are what's important maybe you know more important than the words are the events i mean there's there's this these folks who call themselves the red letter christians because they're saying we take the teachings of jesus seriously as if somehow the red letter because that's saying in in certain bibles they put the words of christ in red letters and so saying like sort of lifting up the red letters over the black letters which are the actions of christ and i don't think they're trying to do this but but the black letters are just as important Probably more important, the, the actions that Christ undertakes on our behalf are what have um, are what have salvific import, not not just the words or or the teachings, but it's Christ bearing the cross for us, dying and rising again for us. The the physical things that happen to Him are what are efficacious for our salvation. I mean, those are the claims of Christianity. What Christ did for us on our behalf. And so for Christoph, when it comes to, you know, the question of the virgin birth and what do I need to believe about that? And it's only found in one gospel, um, that it's, you know, first when we want to say, well, what's, what's central, like not a least common denominator type of Christian faith, but what's a most central, um, claim of the Christian faith that we need to have if we're going to examine these other things is that God, you know, raised Christ from the dead. And once we start there, you know, then, then, then all these other extraordinary claims. I mean, that's the most extraordinary claim of all. And the reason that claim is so important, and it's, I mean, it's, it's everything. Easter um, is everything, because otherwise, you know, the Christ is a tragic figure. Yeah. You know, that the wheel of history, like, you know, here was a good man standing athwart the wheel of history, and it crushed him. And if there's no yeah. hope for him, guess what? There's no hope for any right. of us. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to remember that uh, many, many people uh, were converted before a Bible existed, um, and converted by the story yes. that, that we're, we're saying is the central story is, hey, hey, you heard about this Jesus guy? Yeah, I heard some kerfuffle about this. What's mm-hmm. going on? He rose from the dead. I mean, that boom, you're, you're halfway to being a Christian right there. Absolutely. So that, that is the, the important central thing. And, and what about at the—does uh, d- he get into any more details? What about the, the virgin birth? Can you—certainly you can doubt this, but, but then, you know, that gets into you're doubting the revelation of God and all of those things. Right, so. right. Like, this is, you know—I um, mean, could one be—could 
did people become Christians without hearing about the virgin birth or that being a central aspect of the Christian gospel? I think absolutely that's, you know, indisputable probably that the virgin birth wasn't an important part of Paul's preaching as far as we can tell. But I mean, <laughs> bigger than that was the sort of notion of the pre-existence of Christ, which is, mm-hmm. an, which is an incredibly extraordinary claim, claim, right? That Christ has existed like from all eternity. And so to me, that's even more extraordinary than a, than a virgin, virgin birth. But I'd say, you know, if we true treat the account, the scriptural accounts as, you know, giving us a true and accurate, accurate revelation representation of what has happened, you know, then, then if we're, if we trust these sources, then it's, uh, then it's, you know, not that hard to believe. And when the resurrection is a central claim, uh, virgin birth isn't that hard to believe no. either. You know, it's sort of, uh, I'd say, I'd say the resurrection is more difficult to hang one's, like wrap one's head around and then, than the virgin birth. Right. And, and the Trinity itself is very, very difficult. Maybe we'll do a show on yeah, that. Yeah, we, we will do a sh- we, we, we will do a show on the Trinity. So when Christoph is talking about, you know, can I be a Christian? He makes all these extraordinary claims. Can I be a Christian without believing any of them? Um, or while doubting them. And so I think that's the distinction for me that has a real difference is, yeah, you can be a Christian while doubting those things. Absolutely. hundred percent wrestling with them saying, I don't know, 51%, you know, true, yeah, right, like, right. you know, or can I be a Christian? Well, disbelieving them, thinking that that didn't really happen, that those are nice stories trying to illustrate a sort of deeper spiritual truth. I'd say you're kind of drawing the line and you're kind of into a new or a different thing. Christianity is sort of maybe a philosophy as opposed to a, uh, you know, a, a religious faith, a, a lived religious faith. Right. And I would just add, uh, when people say, you know, I, I believe in God, I believe that Jesus was a, a decent teacher and all that, it's like once you've established that there is a God, mm-hmm. an omnipotent being who created this universe that we can't explain, why why do you stumble on these other things? I mean, I, I get it getting sort of hung up on the specifics, but when, once you realize an omnipotent God can do literally anything, <laughs> then these things start to take on, then you should look for their meaning instead. Yeah, why, and sort did, of search, why did God do this? Why did he do this? It, did, did God, did the, you know, did the virgin birth have to happen? No, for Christ to be who he was. I don't think so. No. So why did, why yeah. did God do it this way? You know, absolutely. The, 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 the why, the meaning behind these events. Yeah, the the miracles uh, are they point out something theological. That's what I think that sometimes outsiders don't get. They point about something about God's character, about who Christ is. They're not just magic tricks. That doesn't make any no, sense. No, like God hey, guys, can do anything. So, and really, yeah, the miracles are about the. I mean, they're about the nature of God's kingdom. What does the world look like when God is in charge, and when you know the 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 poison that's been that's entered into creation from eden has been removed and extracted and wiped away this is what the world looks like you know people being healed and restored and fed um it's this beautiful picture of really um that line in the lord's prayer you know thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven you know this is this is on earth as it is in heaven that's what we're getting through the miracles of of christ our, our god's kingdom coming to earth so yeah they're not magic tricks they are this they are this kingdom coming in this beautiful compelling way and that's what compels people to be to be christians i think is this this the reality of of god coming and entering into earth and making it his way and having his way in us 
Right. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. And I think that uh, Mr. Keller wrapped it up with uh, sort of drawing a line in the, the Apostles' Creed. Is that he right? He did. Yeah. He said like, uh, yeah. So he, I think his, his kind of takeaway point was like, well, you know, there's some basic historic truths of the Christian faith that are captured in the Apostles' Creed. And um, that's sort of the context from from which, you know, these basic claims about God as creator, Christ as the, you know, incarnate son of the Father, uh, dying, rising again for, our, you know, the forgiveness of our sins and ascending into heaven, and the Holy Spirit coming and empowering the church. These are the basic claims. Um, and so you can doubt those, you can wrestle with those, but if you reject those central yeah. claims, you've kind of defined yourself outside of the Christian community, the, the Christian church. Okay. Well, chew on that, people. Well, uh, we take a short break, and uh, Pastor Dave makes a, a little heartfelt appeal oh. to all of you out there. And then we'll be back, and I will be subjected to the millennial quiz. And mm. I, I, I got to be honest, I do not have hopes for myself here. I believe, Mike. <laughs> I have not plugged in. I don't doubt. I believe. Uh, all right. Well, we'll be right back after this. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you listen to this on iTunes and you see that subscribe button and you haven't clicked it yet, why don't you hover your finger or your mouse over that button and just press it. Another thing you could do is leave us a rating and a review. We are at 19 five-star reviews. And, and, and if you have not given us a five-star review yet, please, 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 I am not just appealing. I am begging you. We could get over 20, and I think something magical will happen when you do that. Also, um, we've had some reviews, but it's been a couple of weeks since we've had some have one. So if you enjoy the show and you like it and you think other people should listen to it, please leave us uh, an, an honest uh, review so that you help other people kind of know what you love about this show. It really helps us. If you listen to the show on an Android platform, God bless you. I don't know how you do it, uh, the, the, but uh, we are very, very grateful for people who don't use the Apple ecosystem, who go out of their way to find a way to listen to the show. Mike uses Android. I don't even know how he listens to the show anyways. I don't think he does. But we really, really appreciate you listening. Um, we are ending this year great. More listeners uh, than ever. I mean, you know, we have about two or three times as many people listening as we did at the beginning. We are just very, very grateful and encouraged by your response. So thanks, everyone. Keep listening. And we are back. Thank you, Pastor Dave. You are so welcome for that appeal, Mike. And uh, I'm excited to be leading us in this next portion of the show. But before we go there, we have to do... We got to wrap it up. Wrap it up. Remember when uh, commercials used to use uh, wraps for, you know, advertising their wraps? I believe Subway. <laughs> Subway had a very famous, that. like, if you can, go to YouTube, look at the Subway wrap. Wrap it up. Ooh, I remember that little horn line from very it. Very painful. It's it's not quite as memorable as I want my baby back, baby, baby back, baby. Chili's. But it's That's but one it's of the great there. commercials is it really the Chili's is, Baby Back. Because it annoyed you so badly, but you remember it to this day. <laughs> Barbecue sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> all right, so okay. let's do it. Let's wrap it up. All right. uh, what did we talk about in the first half? Oh, well, we talked about the uh, article in New York Times. Uh, Nick Kristoff uh, interviewed um, uh, Pastor Tim Keller uh, from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, just saying, like, hey, man, 
I am New York Times writer guy. I am, I am a respecter of Jesus and um, and all the great things that you know Christianity inspires people to do in the world. I don't know what his Nick Kristoff's background is or what his religious persuasion is, but he seems to be. Um, He's a, he's certainly a skeptic. I don't know if he considers himself more of an admirer or like a, ins, you know, an insider uh, of the Christian tradition. Who knows? But he says, listen, Christianity makes all these like extraordinary, crazy claims, miracles, resurrections, virgin births. Like, how much of this stuff do I need to believe to consider myself a Christian? And um, the the response is is kind of two pronged. One is that. Um, their doubt, there's a big difference between doubt and disbelief. And so doubt is just saying like, yeah, I, I like basically accept this story, you know, that the, the Christian story is a true story, but these specific claims, I, I just, how, how could this be true? How could this be possible? And so you're, re- you're wrestling to try to figure out the truth of them um, or how could they could be true. And disbelief is just saying like, oh, this is just a bunch of hokum, but you know, I think Jesus is a cool guy. Like, like, so wrestling, doubting, struggling, that has a, a welcome home within the Christian faith, I think, about pretty much everything. And then the second thing is that these extraordinary claims aren't, like, um, extraneous to the Christian story. They're at the heart of it, that, that the resurrection itself is the central miracle, central claim of the Christian faith. And without that, we got nothing. And that kind of is what makes Christianity unique, is that, it, it, you know, is Jesus... Is his body still in the tomb, or is it not? And the whole of the faith hinges on that point. Right. Yep. And so we got to have that. Like, there's no way around it. So what do I need to believe would just be like, not a lowest common denominator, but where do you need to start? You've got to start at Easter. You've got to start at that tomb being empty. And when you believe that that tomb is empty and that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, that begins to unlock all of these other things. And if you're doubting that, you're in good company. I mean, think of Thomas, you know. Right. Think of the earliest uh, apostles when they heard the news of the resurrection. They didn't believe it. They doubted it. They thought it was these women making up these stories. But, you know, Peter and John, they ran to the tomb because mm-hmm. they wanted to see for themselves. And so that's, uh, that's, my, that's my challenge. My encouragement is, is go see for yourself figure it out fantastic and you know what i hope for someday is that we're talking about the uh tim keller ricky gervais article in the new york times that would be fun the uh wouldn't the, it the strident atheist and uh yeah that'd be a fun uh fun dialect well if you're listening tim ricky or nick Kristoff, because we know they're <laughs> we know they're fans of the pod um please 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 feel free to uh, write that article we'll even we, you could be on the pod and we will let you sort of do a takeover a podcast right. takeover. Yeah, just take fun. it over Okay. We'll happily concede it. All right, we're going to go to the Boston Globe now, right, instead of the uh, New York Times. And this is for the Millennial Quiz, and I am in the dock now, as they say in England. Uh, I'm on trial, yep. and I'm happy to take it on. Let's uh, explain this and then run me through it. So it's a uh, it's just a quiz to find out, like, how much does Mike— because Millennials, with many of the great things that they've brought to the world, selfies— um, living at home <laughs> till you're 40, uh, like that uh, amongst the other things my generation has brought, there's been a whole new way of talking, a whole new slang. And so how much, if Mike wants to communicate, if he wants to reach this group of people, he's got to learn to talk like they talk. And so the title of the quiz is how trill are you? Okay. And, uh, and so, th- so we're going to see how much Mike knows about these I'm millennials, trouble already. these millennial slang. So Mike, yes. speaking of trill, 
Yes. And this is multiple choice, so yes. don't worry. Trill. So what does trill mean? Is it a way to describe someone who is real, genuine, and deserving of respect? Is it a recently popularized dance style inspired by Kanye West? A code name for pot? Or a term used to describe an individual who spends too much time engaging in dangerous or illicit behavior? Well, I know that from music that a trill is a, uh, a quaver between two notes, uh, usually at a rapid pace, used as ornamentation um, in the Baroque era. It was started on the top note in the classical era. It more oh, that's, generally started oh, that's, on the bottom oh. note. But I'm going to say that uh, A, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but I'm going to go with A. Yeah, way to describe someone who's real, genuine, deserving yes. respect. Yeah. Yes, good job. You wow. are correct. That was a complete guess. Next question. Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, if you say someone has no chill, is that someone who is considered to be physically attractive or hot? Uh, is it a way to describe a building, room, or home in which the air conditioner has broken? <laughs> is it to act irrationally or in an uh, otherwise reckless manner? Or is it someone known for being kind and generous and never giving the cold shoulder? Uh, I'm going to go with C. To act irrationally or in an yeah. otherwise yeah. reckless manner. Yeah. No chill. Mike, if, if you have chill, man. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> well, well, when they throw in those ridiculous answers, this I is, mean, it's a gimme there. This is a master class, kids, in how to take <laughs> multiple choice questions. That's you don't right. need to know the right answer, just the wrong ones. All right. Thirsty. So thirsty. If you were to say someone's thirsty, is this someone who needs a glass of water? Pronto? pronto. Is this a shortened version of the term Thursday Thursday, in which packs of college-aged millennials head to bars on Thursday night to drink together? Is this someone who craves attention? Or a drinking game that involves uh, chugging one beer an hour on the hour for six consecutive hours? Wait, if you were to say someone is thirsty? Thirsty or something is thirsty or thirsty. Well, Someone then, throws it out. Then the, the game part doesn't make grammatical sense to the question. I don't know. Just say thirsty. So I'm going to throw that out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, what, I'm sorry. Just a glass quick of, You need a glass of water pronto. Um, a shortened version of Thirsty Thursday. Uh, or someone who craves attention. Someone who craves attention. That makes grammatical sense. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Next question. Was that right? Yes. So I'm it, 100%? Yes. <laughs> all right. Turnt. So turnt. What does turnt mean? Does it mean wow. drunk, stoned? Excited or all of the above? Oh, I thought it meant uh, maybe means drunk. All right, Mike is going with drunk, turnt. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Was it all of the above? It's in any, in almost any. It's always all or none of the above. No, uh, it just seemed like I don't know. You are right. I mean, turnt does mean like let's get turnt, or okay. he's turnt up. Huh. Um, that does mean drunk, but it also can mean stoned or excited. Oh, it's got a lot of nuance, that word. It does. It does a lot of work. All right. Next. So you're three out of four. Next question. Oh, uh, V. V? V. Just yep. the letter V? Yep. A. Yes, just the letter V. a show about lizard people in the 70s. I know this one. I'm okay. going to go with that. A modifier used to identify someone um, who has gone vegan. A common fill-in for the number five used by millennials in text messages and emails. An alternative to the word peace, so named because the peace sign resembles the V. Okay. Or a shortening of the word very, because millennials cannot be bothered to spell out the entire thing. Well, I like that slam on millennials, so I'm going to that, 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 go with that. You are correct, because it's hard to write out, you know, it's hard to write very. That's, That's true. The three extra letters are very difficult. It would have been tough, though, because V does mean five, and so that's, you know. All right, Mike. Technically woke. Woke. 
Oh, this Whoa. I think I know. Someone who is culturally enlightened and or turn, turned into what's going on in the latest... Turned into what's going oh, on? Uh, tur- <laughs> tuned in, sorry. Tuned into important issues going on in the world. That's it. Okay. I know that one. You're, yeah. You, Mike, is, are you woke, Mike? I'm woke. You are so woke. Woke AF. <laughs> You are a millennial. He is a millennial. Uh, Hello, fellow children. Oh, Mike on fleek. Should I say something on fleek? I heard this, but I don't. I don't think I. A pet that is suffering from fleas. Uh, I know. uh, A phrase used to describe a situation in which two friends aren't getting along, so they're on fleek. A complimentary way to describe something that is flawless or perfect. Um, A phrase used to mean in a hurry, as in. The movie's about to start. You better get here on fleek. I'm going to go with C. A complimentary way to describe someone or something? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> your, your millennial slang game is on fleek. <laughs> I, I have seen... Uh, that one is maybe my least favorite millennial slang thing. I've never, I've never actually seen that. I I've guess seen it, that right? from context. Mm. HMU. An acronym for... Can you... Do you know what it's for? Oh. Without me even prompting. No, I'm not going to waste time trying to think. An acronym it. for "Hit Me Up." Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a brand of designer sunglasses? No. Yeah, that one's pretty obvious. All right. Oh, yes. So, like, why? Yes. Yes. Okay. Wow, that's as annoying as the "What's Up, guys." Yeah, the new Budweiser like, yeah. or Michelob Ultra. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Hey, but low, low on those carbs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, an off-repeated lyric from the popular Beyonce song "Flawless," an elongated version of the word "yes" meant to express excitement. The nickname of the world-famous DJ Skrillex. Trick question: Millennials don't actually say this. Ooh, that this is, is a, hard. That's a trick question. Uh, I'm going to go with A, and but that is a complete guess, I'll admit it. So from B- the Beyonce lyric? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. It's an elongated version of the word yes meant to express excitement. Well, but I feel like members too, I, I feel yeah. like members of the Beehive or the Bayhive, I don't know how they say it exactly. I feel like they they would say yes. Yes, queen. Like it. Okay, that's like yes, queen. That's what people say. Yes, queen. Mm, Can you say it? No, that is deeply unappealing. <laughs> Okay. All right. We are. Um, oh, we're getting very close to the end here. Okay. Oh, the fr- the phrase Netflix and chill. Do you know what that means? Netflix and chill. I guess yeah. it just means stay at home, right? To spend an uh, to spend a stifling summer day inside watching Netflix while blasting the air conditioner. To watch Netflix while enjoying a cold beer. To forego a night on the town with friends in order to spend a relaxing evening at home, um, connecting, ca- catching up on the popular Netflix series House of Cards. Sex is the last one. Oh, so this is a wow! This is a tricky one. I'm I'm going to say that it is straightforward. That it just means you're you're stepping away from whatever activity that you're. Uh, okay. Is, am I right? Of course not, Mike. Oh, is it D? It's, it's sex. Yes. Oh wow! It's like Netflix and chill. That's like a euphemism. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It probably started as like you know like let's hang out. Sure. You know, sure. and then, I, like, I get the joke. Yeah, yeah. But, Netflix uh, and chill. Like Netflix like and chill. Sorry, man. You guys. It's I the millennial. You guys. I literally, I, when I say Netflix and chill, I just mean <laughs> watch Netflix. Yes. <laughs> so when I, I've used that with Mike before. Hey, Mike, want a Netflix and chill? 
Little, I, did, little did you know what was coming. <laughs> good heavens. <laughs> oh, um, olds. Olds. A term used to describe... Wait, to mean spell that. Olds, like O-L-D-S. Like an Oldsmobile. Like an Oldsmobile, yeah. A term used to describe out of style. That means out of style. Um, a nickname for an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. <laughs> a derogatory term used by millennials to describe someone who is old, lame, and or out of touch. A nickname for a thrift shop. Uh, bro, let's go get some, uh, let's go to the olds and grab some vintage t-shirts. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to say C. I assume there's some derogatory, uh, You are right. Yeah. It takes one to know one. All right. And last one, Bay, B-A-E, B-A-E. Does this mean, uh, beer and ecstasy? Um, better ask Emilio. <laughs> Emilio Estevez? Yeah, Bob Sledden ain't everything oh, come on. before anyone else. Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I assume it's D before anyone else. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You are correct, Mike. Yay. And you know, like that's like you'll you know you'll say like oh, spending the night with Bay. That's also like a way to say like I'm hanging out with my significant other. Really? Yeah, or Bay. Like you can just like. Like you call your... Oh, her before anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I th- I thought it was just a term, like an affectionate term for your significant other, but apparently bae me is an acronym. It seems like it, it could also just be, I'm too lazy to say babe. Babe, yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yep. Pretty soon my will just only communicate in single <laughs> letters. I love it. All right. Oh, and this is the last one, Mike. Okay. Basic. When you say something's basic, is it someone who lacks personality, personal style, or a defining characteristic, someone who avoids drama at all costs, someone who has disavowed name brands in favor of simple and cheap clothing, the first name of one of the Kardashian sisters. <laughs> so basic. Uh, basic. What was A again? Uh, someone who lacks personality, personal style, or a defining characteristic. I I am gonna go with that one. You're so basic, Mike. <laughs> no, you you have you're you're the opposite of basic. You have many defining characteristics. Well, was that correct? Yeah, you're totally right. Wow, nice. Oh, God, sorry. It wasn't the last one. The second to last one. Sus. Oh, Sus. Okay. Is this, to, uh, to figure is this something an out. acronym for uh, shut up, stupid? A phrase used to describe a person or situation that is worrisome or suspect? Is it uh, to get suspended from school or the way millennials pronounce sauce for some reason? <laughs> I'm going to go with a B. Suspect. Yes. Okay. The results are 11 out of 14. So you got seventy eight percent. So you're pretty, pretty, pretty trill, Mike. That is really, really good. You're in the top. You're in the seventieth to seventy ninth percentile. So oh, that's not bad. Uh, that's not bad for my age. You're you know, old. now that I'm in my late thirties. I mean, that's <laughs> not bad, right? I am. So, Mike, uh, that was impressive. It was with most of these quizzes, they probably could have cut like four or five questions from it. But, yeah, you know, yeah could, but you know, if you're buzzing through them on the internet, if you're not clicking, doing clicking it on away. a podcast, it's yeah. probably a little more entertaining. <laughs> but I hope you at home uh, were able to answer these, you know, a hundred percent better than Mike. And I did when I took it at home. I did get a hundred. You did get a hundred. I did get a hundred percent. So well, you are right there. You're in the. You are a millennial. I'm the oldest millennial. Uh, according are to you some, the last year i am oh, it depends. some people say you could be born as no i think i am i'm yeah born in 82 so i think that uh i think i qualify as the oldest millennial from what i've seen i some people stretch it to 84 but i think it's really 82 is the cutoff 
Well, I'll be using all these terms as I aim my hose at you and spray from my lawn chair in the front yard. But uh, soon we will be back again with another Like Trees Walking. Uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast today. Dave, any parting words? Um, Happy New Year. Uh, we are almost at the end of our season here. Um, we only have a couple more episodes to go, and then we'll have to turn over no season. It will sort of do like a gritty reboot, I think. Yeah, that's right. We're going to reboot. <laughs> the second season. So stay uh, tuned. We've got one more show, and then, yeah, season two where we come back from the dead or we have evil twins or something so this is <laughs> like babies <laughs> weddings <Yeah. laughs> see you next time see ya.